Hello. Hi. So we're starting now, huh? Yeah. Okay. Hi, everyone. Long time no see. I know it's been a while, but we're back. Different location now. Oh, sh. Okay. We're at a different location now, but this is good. Yes. An undisclosed location. I don't even really want to say where we no, are. No, no. We don't want to know. No. It's down south, though. South of Chicago. You okay? You've got a little bit of a horse cough. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Of, I'm, a little, I'm not sick, sick, but I kind of have like a cold. Getting mm. over it, or like a cough here and there. Is it bronchitis? Have know. you ever gotten bronchitis? I don't think so. That's pretty serious, though. It feels that bad. Nah. You said you're getting over it, so it was worse during yeah. your special trip. Yeah, when I went to Ireland. Yeah. This is a new episode of the Oddcast. Maybe a little small one, uh, but, you know, just wanted to give you a little surprise, especially since this is like the first one in a while, maybe a month, maybe less than that. Well, not quite a month. Not quite a month, but it's, it's been a while, to quote Stained. <laughs> um, and... Um, I know that one of the episodes is that we're supposed to be uh, giving each other uh, an assignment, uh, Dylan with Diego Rivera and me with uh, Remedios Varo. But yes. we just want to just talk a little bit about it before we start working on it, because it's kind of a heavy task that I asked to do. Like I've been, I've been working on sketching it, and it's just a lot of work. I don't know what your progress is with Diego Rivera. I'm also just in the sketching phase. Yeah. I've been doing little copies of the figures in the Detroit industry murals. Dude, out of all the murals I've seen live, that one's my favorite. You still think the figures in that in that one look like a middle schooler? Dream? I mean, it's it was a TikTok I saw where the guy, a person was critiquing Diego Rivera's artwork where basically saying Diego's, uh, what do you call it, like artwork of a people look like uh, some, done by some middle schooler. Hmm. Um, well, I was going to ask you, what do you think about that comment? Because there's not that much texture, not that much detail on Diego Rivera's faces. Uh, I mean, he, he was kind of someone who jumped around at every style that was around at the time. He had mm. Cubist paintings. He had more like impressionist paintings. So when I, when he returned to Mexico and started doing the murals, yeah, they were in a kind of simplified style, but he clearly knew how to paint other ways. It was a choice. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, this is the best I can do. So they look like cartoon figures and I don't think they look cartoony. Okay. Let me ask you this question uh, in the art world. Why is it that certain artists go more simplistic when they can be more detailed or challenging? Why do they go to that route? Why is it, yeah, like, other than what, having their own signature? Yeah, I actually saw a funny art review, Power 100 meme about this, about like, my paintings aren't bad, they're de-skilled. Have you seen that? Uh, like a guy yelling at his critical meme. family at his uh, Thanksgiving dinner or something. I think so. You know, there's been moments where I just want to like, bombard you with all those memes. Well, I follow him. I, I see know, him I know you see it all the time, but I just want to send it to you. Like, get your input about what you think of him. <laughs> and I do every now and then, but like, I, 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 you know, discipline myself not to, not to like, 
spam you with my memes. Well, <laughs> have you? You haven't met. I don't know if we should. No, say no, I haven't. Name. I haven't met. Bleep. But but I saw I saw the I saw the 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 conversation. Well, I heard about yeah. the conversation. I think we've already said too much, but. Anyway, like, because I, I know the runner of that account, I, I see where a lot of the inside jokes are coming from. A lot of things I, I don't really, like, <laughs> identify with, like the, the gesso fetishism that he has is uh, something I've never really shared. I think it's really funny. Can you explain it to me? I think he just is really into gesso. Uh-huh. And when you think about it, it's kind of this, like, white milky substance and... Uh-huh. Maybe that has something to do with it. I've actually never thought too deeply about it, but there's a lot of just so jokes. But anyway, about the you asked a question about artists painting in kind of a naive style, and I think that's a really interesting yeah. question. And you can call it de-skilled because that's like kind of art world speak for mm-hmm. painting in a less flashy technical way. And everyone does it for different reasons, but. Um, there's an interesting artist you should look into. I found out about him from one of my students. He, he's from East Chicago. The, the artist, Robert Nava. Have you heard of this guy? I heard that name before. <gasps> he's very de-skilled. I love the headline of this. He sells his paintings for like hundreds of thousands of dollars now. And they are very naive, I guess is the word. De-skilled would be another word. I mean, I don't want to sound like an asshole because I don't know him or don't know the meaning behind the art but like what gives that value of this artist compared to Ringo Starr and his Microsoft Paint Ringo Starr made Microsoft Paint art yeah wow I mean these are great (laughs) I'm sure he does get acclaim for his art Ringo that is I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is you see work like this and you immediately get it. Everyone can identify with it because we've all been there as kids doodling like in the same way. And they can be hilarious and funny. Is this actually a Ringo Starr? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) They're they're very scatological. I guess he's into into poop jokes. I don't... uh... But, like, okay, so this is a guy from East Chicago? Yeah, and he went to Yale, which is one of the most prestigious art schools ever. Are you serious? Yeah. Yale is one of the most prestigious art schools? Art schools? Oh, yeah. For, um, for its graduate school of studio art. Its MFA program is considered, like, probably the best in the world. I thought it would be, like, NYU or something like that. No, NYU is not really known for fine art, like... Painting, drawing, they're more they're like a film school, stuff like that. Wow, it's, yeah, it's weird. I'm blown away by that. Yeah, some of the most uh, successful contemporary artists of our time have gone there. You have to realize that the MFA is a mid-20th century kind of invention, that yeah. it became like kind of the norm for artists to, to do that. But he went there, and he also went to IUN in Gary. Okay. And... He claims that as a young student, he was very technically skilled. And I can't find any of Robert Nava's early work to, to prove that. Uh-huh. But this was clearly a choice he, he apparently made when he wanted to work in this more childish Okay, that, that one I can see more. 
Well, you like the clown. Yeah, but also like <laughs> the Rorschach kind of vibe to it. They're like there's more thought put into that. You know, there's there's detail. Yeah, to it, you know? the symmetry of it. Yeah. Yeah, and more power to him. I, some of them I think are really funny and cool, like Grim Reaper riding on a alligator fighting a demon thing. There's something like little kid doodling monsters okay. and superheroes in a sketchbook vibe, but they're scaled up and they're like large, well stretched mm. canvases. I think Basquiat had, there's some connection to Basquiat in there too. He had a similar approach to painting. But the question of like why it's worth like in the millions of dollars for some of these people, like Basquiat paintings are, are definitely worth that now. I think it's just money laundering. Just a way to <laughs> to make money. I, that's, yeah. the only, that's the only logical perspective I can put into that. Yeah. And investments, speculation collectors buy art because it's the new hot artist and they're hoping it's going to go up in value so mm. they can sell it in a few years and make a huge profit it's i don't know i feel like the art world is like a popular game absolutely yeah it's a popularity contest how, do, how does that make you feel it's pretty demoralizing but also it's freeing in a way that like none of it matters there's no real objective markers of quality so just make what you like and fulfills you and maybe other people like it find other ways to survive if you can whether it's uh i don't know a day job or marry someone rich or <laughs> you know whatever it takes to make your art <laughs> um okay i know this is a different topic but uh, i've been noticing that there's a a swing on the market, like on the marketing industry, you know how like back in the day, like in the 2000s, 2010s, we're going through the vibe of minimalism, like looking at Apple products, everything is very minimal with the sure. Helvetica font and everything. Now the rumors are, rumors, rumors, is that uh, they're going to be more maximalist on the marketing scheme. So I wanted to ask you, like, since you are very good in your artwork, being maximalist, do you think maximalism will be popular in the future? Especially like comparing it to Remedios Varo, you know, mm -hmm. you see a lot of, I wouldn't consider her maximalist, but she's got a lot of detail in her artwork. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much a, a generational cyclical thing. like when the whole all the trends go towards minimalism and then 10 20 years later it swings the other way i feel like it never it's never going to stay one or the other i hadn't heard that about like the tech industry like apple i can't picture what a maximalist apple design i mean i'm using an example for minimalism but like for marketing wise like they're planning to do something maximalist but i don't know what but like yeah. Apple is no, not Apple. Just, just I'm using minimalism as an example for the Apple. But, but yeah. for the future of maximalism, I don't know what, what, what how it's going to look. You mean you but, kind of already see it with like Gen Z fashion choices? Mm -hmm. They love mix and matching patterns. The it's kind of like '70s Paisley psychedelic stuff, but like with all the 21st century internet shit. Do you <laughs> think maximalism is a way to fight against AI? To keep jobs? 
I don't keep, know. I think keep keep you know. I think the AI enables the maximalism. AI gives mm. artists and designers new ways to make like acute, like infinite content. Yeah. It's only going to make maximalism way easier to achieve. Anyone can just type in a prompt and get like the most intricately detailed, crazy yeah. image that takes no effort. It's just bashing source material together. So. It could end up swinging the other way very quickly because people are so disgusted by or get so sick of the maximalism that you want something really pared down and considered and minimalist. Yeah. I can see that happening. It's going to be interesting no matter what. Yeah. You're just in it for the ride. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So, I mean, we, we... glossed over why we're here in this weird place we just saw the remedios varo show that's closing tomorrow at the art institute Mm -hmm. and because i assigned you her work to copy we had to make sure that you saw it in person i've been like three or four times yeah dude it's just nice nice of you for you to do that thank you i appreciate you for inviting me oh of course um but dude i don't know it's i don't want to call you spoiled but like it's a privilege seeing her artwork that many times i'm definitely when i go to mexico city again i'm definitely going to her museum oh man i would love yeah. to go there she yeah. has a whole museum devoted to her yeah work. like it's her house i think and they made her house into a museum oh that's so cool so it's in mexico city yeah yeah that might be the, the thing that finally gets me down there <laughs> dude there's so many there's so many museums in mexico city so many art museums and every time i go there there's something new to look into so Mm-hmm. You know, you can be there for two months and you're still scratching the surface. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just visual art-wise? Or, or just exploring the city-wise. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I would love to give uh, more context about Navarro, yes. but I we're not going to be that in-depth. I do want to shout out a podcast that I just heard I this morning. I about that, yeah. Art History Babes. I just stumbled on their podcast, Googling Remedios Varro podcast to learn some more history this morning. And great, informative podcast about her life. I've, I've only listened to half of it, but check it out. It was released in 2021 and, you know, good stuff. Check them yeah. out. <laughs> but uh, what you, you were telling me cause this, because I know this is going to be a little bit sensitive topic, but you were explaining to me how... Diego Rivera and Frida did not like Remedios. Yeah, that was one of the things they touched on in that podcast. And what's surprising to me, but they explained it, is how Rivera and Kahlo were both like fierce Mexican nationalists. They Mm -hmm. really had a strong sense of national identity. They even said that Frida Kahlo changed her birthday to the Mexican date or like war of independence oh my god to feel even more like connected to it oh that's so that's so cringe that's that's like (laughs) it's like um gentrification like mentality right there from from frida kylo look i mean i you can make the argument that remedios varo should not be in this conversation since, since she was born in spain and blah 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 but at least she stayed in her lane in the sense that she knew she wasn't mexican she wasn't in a foreign country and she respected the culture and she just did her own thing and did not take someone else's culture and call it her own. And because of that, I like her more than Kahlo. Diego Rivera is a different conversation. But like, you know, like I feel like Frida is just just, you know, a person that just takes 
other cultures and calls it her own. Yes, she was born in Mexico, but her dad was German. She took a lot of her art, her her passion from from her maid, who was which was an indigenous woman from Oaxaca, and never credited her for it. Wow, you know? I didn't know any of that. Yeah, so it just it just aggravates me. And then people, there's a there's okay. Sorry for bringing this up, but like. There are women out there who make the arguments like you as a man cannot uh, say th things about a woman because you shouldn't say it. You know, like you're a man. You can't say that. And I'm thinking, no, mm -hmm. I should say it. Like just because I'm a man and you're a woman, I can't critique you in the sense that like you're seeing I'm seeing something outside other than genders. And, and the reason I'm bringing that yeah. up is because. Frida talks a lot about her feminism, which is great and all, but like, I don't want to compare, but for the lack of a better word, comparing her to other artists that are feminists, they're better people than her. Georgie O'Keeffe, Remedios Varo. I just feel like she's like mid. <laughs> In terms of her feminism. In her artwork. Um, I, got a, I got into a fight with, um, with my cousin about this. There's a Argentinian artist or Spaniard artist, I forget her name, but she did, or maybe I forget, or like a European artist. She did like very like uh, abstract art that's very, not cringe in the sense that you see it and you just feel very intense. Like she's the one with the, with the art, uh, with the arrow and the bow, and they're just both like. Oh, uh, performance. Art. Yeah, performance art. Is she, that Marina Abramovic? I think so. Maybe, maybe her. Serbian. Serbian. Okay, my by mistake. I thought she was banging. Yeah, but um, was she the one where she sat down for like two hours and told the audience that they can do whatever they want on her? Yeah. Okay. That's uh, Marina Abramovic. Okay, so my cousin was making the argument that when it comes to that kind of art, she's better than Yoko. Because Yoko yeah. would try to do the same thing with uh, like, hey, you can do whatever you want with my body. But then she just, 20 minutes into it, she she says, no, I can't. Like, Oh, but, yeah, I've heard about that Yoko performance. Yeah. It was one of her very early ones. Yeah, but it was Maria... It, was it the cut piece? She could be able to cut pieces off of her clothing. Yeah, but it's just like, oh, you're going to cut my bra? No, you went too far. But Maria was like, no, I can, I can go naked. I don't care. Yeah, she had like a bunch of like knives, swords, a gun that she would let just let the performers do whatever they yeah. wanted with these weapons. So she was putting her life on the line. Oh. They're both really thought-provoking performances, though. I don't feel like it needs to be a competition between Yoko and Marina. I like Yoko, but in the sense of like, of, what's her name again? Marina or Maria? Marina. Marina. I think Marina wins the cake. But you know which piece breaks my heart or is the best piece? The Great it's, Wall one? No, the most recent one where, like, you just look at a stranger and don't say oh, anything. Oh, right. The artist is present is what it's called. Yeah. Where and she then, sat in the chair. And then I don't know where her ex-husband came. Yeah. Oh, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, this guy, Ule. Yeah, that was, that was just, oh. That's it. And they didn't say a word. I think both of them that, started crying. That was, that was the whole situation, not saying a word. Yeah. I, I think for good reason, she's considered the best performance artist, quote-unquote, ever. But is, is there a sense of feminism in here? I, I think you can find feminism in mm -hmm. any work made by a female 
person. Sure. Like, I, I, why does feminism have to be a competition? Like, no, she's not as good a feminist as Frida or vice versa or like all this stuff. Like, they're, they're, everyone's an individual. They have different strategies for making their What life. I like about Frida is that she rarely portrays pain. She rarely does? She really, she really oh, does. She okay. re- she's like, my ESL. She really portrays pain in, a, in such a beautiful way that I haven't seen that many artists do. Yeah, I think that makes her one of the great artists. Yeah, like, but I don't consider her great. Like, her, her technique and skill and as an artist, I don't think it's good. But, but Remedios Varo, on the other hand, oh my, the detail in her work. Uh, yeah, detail's not the only maker of good art, though. Like, could you paint that? I mean, give me a while. <laughs> but then again, I, I, I will say no because I'm, I'm, I'm really bad at painting, period. But she has some very good paintings. I, uh, I, I again, like dealing with a huge disability like that and still being able to have the strength and motivation to make as much work as she did. True, but again, that's the argument of gentrification and privilege because she was privileged to be rich. If she wasn't rich, she couldn't have done that. That's true oh, for most artists. That, they yeah. wouldn't exist or they wouldn't be making work but, if but they weren't have you, have comfortable. You, have you ever experienced a rags to riches story of an artist? Like Diego Rivera, arguably, was a rags to riches story. Granted, he ha- was living in a higher middle class uh, society. Yeah. How was he able to? But compared co- compare, compare to compared to Frida, she was po- he was poor. He, like he didn't have that much money compared to Frida. And how did he? From what I've read, how did he go to Paris to do artwork? I think it's because a lot of people noticed his talents and they sponsored him. Sure. <laughs> Sorry if I'm going on a tangent, but like artists that are rags to riches, can you name other ones? The other one that I can think of is Andy Warhol. He, he lived in a poor um, society. He lived like a poor middle class. Basquiat was Basquiat. quite poor and became... Well, I don't know what Basquiat's family was. The movie with uh, Jeffrey Wright or whoever playing him. And oh, David Bowie as Warhol. Jeffrey Wright was in it? I think so. Was Jeffrey Wright Basquiat? Yeah. Okay. If I have the name right. It was a uh, movie directed by another like 80s painter from New York uh, whose name I'm blanking on. Anyway, he would paint on crushed plates and stuff. But the movie is really good. It shows he had kind of a normal middle class childhood. Mm-hmm. His mom took him to see Picasso's Guernica at a museum. And like that's the opening of the movie, I think. But then... Next scene, he's in his early 20s living in a box in Central Park, like homeless. But I don't know if that was kind of by choice or not probably by choice, but he could have probably had a more comfortable life with his family if he wanted to. Uh, Van Gogh never made it to riches in his lifetime, but obviously had some struggles financially. But his brother was an art dealer, and I think his family did have some money. Just yeah. He wasn't like totally born into squalor. So what about uh, uh what's what's the name of Garavaggio? What about him? Was he a rich guy? I don't really know. Art art was handled very differently in those days. You would if you had talent and yeah. you met and like a master like took you on as an apprentice, you would basically live with them and yeah. patrons supported artists financially and 
you don't have to be rich to be an artist if you have like that kind of talent and what, it, you get discovered. What about Goya and Picasso? Were they Rags to Riches or not really? <laughs> I I really Sorry. don't know. Sorry I've for never, putting it in the spot. I've never like just <laughs> art history gone through nowhere. and studied the financial situations of artists. It's fascinating when you read the stories, but I think I can kind of assume that anyone who spends time developing art at a young age has some level of comfort in their life and like stability. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're rich, but they're probably not completely penniless and starving. You wouldn't be able to make art. Art is still like a, a privilege, mm-hmm. an activity. Um, and there's exceptions, I'm sure, of people who make art in spite of it. Okay, so... Does that- it make them a better artist if they come from nothing? In your eyes, you're acting like it's not. Not that it will make me a better artist, but I respect them more. Okay. Yeah. Well, the best you better check on artists' backgrounds before you enjoy their work. I guess, but like you know, I I would, I would, I would, yeah, I would respect them more. Like, uh, uh, what the hell is that guy's name? it was a Mark Marion episode I watched about talking about the greatest guitarist that's alive right now. I forget his name. Um, and he lives in Malibu. <laughs> you know, he was like, you know, a rich guy. And, you know, Mark Marion made the jokes like, normally the guitars that we like are rags to riches. You know, they're coming from poor slumber situations and now they're rich. But this guy's a rich guy and, uh, you know, he can play guitar really well. I forget his name, but he's... Was it Blake Mills? I think he's, he's, he's a white Alabama. guy. He's a white guy. Yeah, and he plays a strat. That doesn't I think. really narrow it down. He plays a strat, I think. Is this um, go, 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 let's Google. <laughs> like Mark Marin, greatest guitarist. No, no, no. Just Blake Mills. Blake Mills is yeah. kind of known as a producer now, no. but he. I've heard other people say like, "Oh, Blake is the best guitarist maybe, of his so generation." So yeah, maybe, maybe put WTF Mark Marin guitarist, but then there'll be. Uh, he was on it. Then it is Blake Mills, I guess. And he is from Malibu? Um, I'm not exactly sure, but I think I've heard that. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, that's an example. So, like, yeah, maybe maybe I should just quit being too harsh, but, like... <clears throat> I mean, I just, I, do you, I, don't, I don't like people who, who lie and say... Who, who, who don't uh, lie about their background. That's one of the reasons why I don't like Frida, you know? <laughs> like, the more okay. you look into her, 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 her life, her personal life, like, oh, I don't want to talk about her love life, but, like, it's just, like, just, it just gets kind of cringy. But I wanna... So I take it you're not someone who believes that you can separate art from the artist. I do, but to an extent, you also have to really get into it. So I don't know enough about Frida's life and her uh, the lies and stuff you're talking about and yeah. hypocrisy. I've heard, I mean, just from the claim that she didn't like Remedios Varo for being a Spanish colonial influence in a way, like that is kind of hypocritical to me because her own dad was exactly. German and her husband studied in Europe and all this stuff. Like, and I was telling you in the show that we just saw, it feels more like jealousy that she couldn't paint like Varro could. Varro was like, I, I wonder how long it takes for her to do one piece. So much, so much effort, so much thought, love. 
Yeah, you can, you can feel the love in the paintings. Uh, Very surreal in the sense that I'm thinking and watching, I'm seeing a piece from the 1500s, and it's not. It's from the 20th yeah, century. They have a very like Renaissance feel to them. But I mean, I'm going to have to study up on Frida so I can defend her more because I don't think I, any of that really matters. I think she is a good painter and she made some great art in her life. Like I was telling you this to you earlier, I think her sketches are better than her artwork. Yeah, let's look at some of those. It's just, I think her sketches are just should, should be more put, uh, should well, be talked about more than anything else. Like these? Yeah. Like You're telling me she doesn't have skill like to draw that like that? Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> or is that one? That's not it. It's not Frida. Is that Frida? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's signed. I don't know if it's I mean, if, if that, okay, let's just say that was Frida. Why couldn't, what, that one, that one's my favorite one. I like that a lot. And, I, it just, and then I see her doing the paintings and I'm like, what happened? What happened? She has paintings that have some similar surreal things going on. Yeah, she did a lot of self-portraits. I feel like she's a little overrated painting-wise, the same way Van Gogh is overrated. Mm -hmm. They painted a lot of pretty basic subjects, still lives, uh, self-portraits, and it's what they felt like doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the paintings are worth a lot of money now, so they must have been doing something right. That's really nice. Yeah, that's... That's fucking amazing. Yeah, I agree. So give her some props. I'm giving her, her props she's a there. bad artist. Giving her props and, and the sketches, I just want what happened to the transition from sketches to paintings. I don't well, know if that different, was her. They're a different medium. Not everything can be, have the same vibe and the same energy. Like this painting is one of my favorites. Is a depiction of pain and being bedridden. But let's talk about Remedios. <laughs> like, what, sure. what, what is it that you like about her? Uh, so she's surreal without being, like, silly in the way that I think Dali and even Magritte, who are kind of the top two surrealists most people will point to. I mm -hmm. think a lot of their stuff... It's cool. The techniques are really dazzling in like Dali especially, but feels like it's usually not adding up to anything or there's just a bunch of nonsense thrown in and there's a silliness to it. Uh, Remedios Varro's paintings, they're so odd, but everything feels intentional and you can mm -hmm. see why she, she would sketch each composition carefully, do it on full-size paper and like transfer it, which is a technique straight out of the Renaissance. Uh, everything like feels, like you, I think you said it really well when you said like there's love in all the paintings. I definitely feel that love. Like I just am mesmerized by the detail, like even the shading here, things like that, that you know, normally a normal civilian wouldn't put attention to it. But like once you look more into it, it's just, you know, beautiful. Um, I wanted to ask you, like we were talking about some of the paintings, like when she makes those trees, how does she find? How does she make the texture to do that? You said that she was. Yeah, like she grabbed I think like a she's piece of cloth. using decalcomania is the, like the name for the technique. Max Ernst, another surrealist, did it a lot. You just like smush two kind of wet surfaces together, not cloth. It has to be some like another board, 
and two wet paint surfaces meeting and then you pull them apart and it leaves a bunch of weird unplanned but textures. So the aspect that she kind of makes kind of like yeah, she was able to control manipulates it, it. Manipulates and control it. Yeah, to make, to form branches and yeah. stuff. Here's one that's a little more Varro style because yeah. it's like a mix of a, a real figure and animals and and then the random decalcomania texture. Has have they met Ernst and Varro? No. Uh, Ernst was married to Leonora Carrington, who was like BFFs with Varro. They were oh, okay. part of the Three Witches, so they lived in Mexico too, I believe. Really? Yeah. This is so fascinating. I really got to learn more about her. This is good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, yeah. Um, I, one thing I mentioned to you was like her manipulation of space in her artwork. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're in a in a closed room, and at the same time you feel like there's a, like the universe in that room because there's so much space, but, it, but at the same time you also feel claustrophobic. Especially right. when it feels weird when you see there's a window, so there's something outside of it, but sometimes the outside world is smaller than the in, what's inside. Mm-hmm. And she can depict that beautifully. Yeah, as, as a uh, someone who identifies as a homebody, and I like being in my little mm-hmm. cocoon at home, making art or, or just whatever, I, I really identify with the interior aspect of her paintings. Like, if they're... All the spaces feel quite constrained, actually. Okay. So, um, what what do they talk more about the podcast? The art history babes. Uh, well, the, about her childhood in Spain. I actually don't. I think she did all her schooling and stuff in Spain, studying like paintings in the Prado and stuff, and learning from the old masters, having a series of lovers, other students, like sometimes. Three at a time, they said. Wow. <laughs> Three different men. and she, she likes that life. Yeah, but then she did get married to one of them, and I think together they moved to Mexico. And that's, I don't have the dates. They're yeah. kind of fuzzy, um, but you can find all this online, I'm sure. Very Catholic mother, very Oof. strong Catholic influence, which Oof. kind of pushed her away from her mom, it seemed, because yeah. she got more into the spiritualism and the more like pagan aspects. So she kind of bonded more with her dad who um, was some kind of engineer or like technical guy. I, don't quote me on that, but I think he nurtured the, the perfectionist uh, mentality in her paintings. Okay. What yeah. do you think of, I mean, what do you think about her selection of color? Cause like, if, when you look at it closely, it looks well made, but like from far away, it pops. Like, and yeah. there's moments that like I feel like everything is dull, but then you look into it, especially that one that we were talking about with the birdcage and the moon is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you were just flabbergasted by the detail of that. You know, you, the the lines has to be very intricate and all that. Yeah, especially because that yeah. one was on paper, which means every line is pretty much done with a brush. You can see her, she scratches into the panel paintings, which is the majority of the other work is Mm -hmm. on panel. And she's like incising into the paint with a, it looks like a razor blade. So I can kind of get how that's done. You just take a ruler and do that. But for that gouache painting by the entrance, every line of that birdcage was painted with a small brush. 
And uh, that's the stuff that is a bit maddening to see because you just know how hard that is. And the lines are a little shaky. They're not perfect, which makes it even more handmade. Again, gives it more love. Okay. It's funny. Okay, so there's not that many pictures of her. Right. Like, but like, there's a picture of her, like, where you see her looking at the camera as she's doing art. And there's a lot of like emotions in that face. And I just wanted to know, like, what kind of person was she when she was doing art? Was she one of those, like, don't, don't, like, uh, uh, don't interrupt me as I'm, uh, don't distract me, don't interrupt me as I'm doing art. Leave me alone. I'm in the zone. How dare you talk to me? Like, there's a lot of intensity in her art. That's the one I'm talking about. A lot of intensity in her art, which, for some reason, I find it attractive. Of course. Like, yeah. She's... She seemed very magnetic, just very magnetic, just from the few photos that exist. Yeah, and there's that plaque in the the exhibit that says like very little is known about her practice because it seems like it was pretty private. Like she wouldn't really have visitors watching her paint because if she did, they'd probably be writing about exactly how she oh, worked. Wow. You're right about that. Because like with Salvador Dali, he hired a lot of people to paint for him. Like, really? Yeah. He was kind of like the Jeff Koons of his time. Well, I mean, he just, you know, when he had like a project, he knew he, that he needed more than one person to do it and he told them how to do it and that's how he did it, you know? Um, yeah, he kind of became like a big business. Yeah. Which is another reason I, I don't love his work as much. It feels, he does feel like has a Jeff Koons vibe, whereas Remedio Sparrow is the like archetypal solitary yeah. artist. I think every every stroke of those paintings was done by her hand, no no help. So, I remember. I mean, I remember there was a time when I was a little kid, right, going to the local library, and I wanted to do art, right. I was like in the single digits, maybe in the double digits, like a tween area or maybe 10 or nine or 10. Um, and I was just learning how to draw. Again, I'm not good. I'm not a good artist, but I was going, just trying to learn something. And then the, the artist that was guiding me, he was against, like he had like, he just hated rulers. He told me never use a ruler. When you're doing art, don't use a ruler. Just throw it away. And like he kind of, I wouldn't say he traumatized me, but he he tattooed that idea in my head. So when I see Remedios, I know she's using a ruler. Yeah, she's using like a a compass too. Like she's using all her all the tools to make this intricate. Like, like I even made the joke like she could have been an architect. But definitely, I wanted to get your input about that story and also. Wait, the, where, who was this guy? Where so, some you, guy, some local guy at the library when I was okay, a kid. Okay, a library yeah. like how to draw class? Yeah, yeah. Like art class? For, for kids kind of thing, you know? I mean, I could see why he would just push kids to be just more spontaneous and draw, but if you need a ruler to draw something complex yeah. and like geometric, do you use, use the damn ruler? Sometimes. Okay, how about this? Because now I have to... I, I never use the ruler. Now I have to use a ruler if I'm going to start doing her work, right? Yeah, there's like, like the I, architecture of the space. The floors, that probably like the, the fucking floors, just alone. And I, and I, it, we might get personal on this, but 
you recently you just discovered that a tool that you never use and now you're slowly learning into it. So are there other tools that you're trying to get more accustomed to it? And the tool that I'm talking about is the brush that you hated for the longest time and oh, now you love it. fan brush? Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing really comes to mind besides that. Yeah. What about you? Rulers? Well, rulers. Rulers for me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to start using rulers more. I always have one in my studio, yeah. but I'll more use it to like prop my hand off the canvas, like a mall stick is what it's called when you just something to rest your hand on. But if I need a perfectly straight line, I'll definitely grab a ruler for it. I was going to ask you, because I didn't know Vermedios Varo until this show came up. You look so scared whenever I say I'm going to ask you something. <laughs> You're the one who always asks other people questions. I'm just going to ask you how you found out about her because I didn't know who she was um, until this my, year. One of my cousins is a huge fan of her, so I just okay. I knew I knew the name and I the name every now and then just stops by. I okay, how about this? Um, so I've heard that name before, but like what lingered more was one time I was at a at a I was at a what the fuck is it called? Uh, the Cobra Lounge, right? I was seeing a band, and then I was talking to some strangers that happened to be Mexican, right? And we were talking about Mexican artists. We were talking about Diego Rivera, Frida Kahlo, and then this Mexican guy came, and he was, I mean, he was drunk, but he was very, like, not aggressive, but, like, just there, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, it's great that we can talk about Diego Rivera, but, like, if we, I mean, Frida Kahlo, but if we're going to talk about feminine artists, that lived in Mexico, you got to give respect to Remedios Varo. And I'm like, who is she? See, that's the thing. Nobody knows her name, but she's fantastic. And grabbed the phone. It was like, oh, shit, I've seen that work. And then just started talking about that. And then he told me, he's like, yeah, she's got a museum in Mexico City. You need to go. It's fantastic. Everybody goes, talks about Frida Kahlo's house, but Remedios is better. And I'm like, cool. yeah, he convinced me. He convinced me there. And it's kind of weird to have a conversation about art in a bar, but it's cool. Yeah, especially yeah. the Cobra Lounge. Yeah. It's more of like a music venue, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a cool story. Yeah. That's a good way to find out about somebody. So but, you were at least over 21 when you really looked into her work. Oh, yeah, totally. And then the, the one that you showed, the artwork, the famous one, the, the bird one. Yeah. One of my cousins... Uh, has that picture as her profile in her WhatsApp. So I originally thought this was a art piece from the 1500s. Mm. So then later on discovering that it was from the 20th century is kind of mind blowing. Yeah. I even wonder like, does she have connections with like, with not the occult, but like, like Freemasons or the elk or something like that? Or what's the she feminine is... version of the Freemasons? The new moon, is that what it's called? I, uh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. She was definitely involved, like interested in the paranormal or I guess the supernatural. I don't think they called it the paranormal then, but like occult things. I guess her and Leonora Carrington would give each other spell jars and stuff. They were all they were into that kind of oh, metaphysical stuff. That's so stuff. cute. It's adorable. It is. And I one of the coolest things I heard in the podcast was that she believed um the painting was a way to access the fourth dimension and that's kind of why she painted the way she did like there was a meta like, philosopher or metaphysical guy 
whose name I'll have to look up, long name that starts with an O, who wrote something about like the fourth fourth kind, the fourth dimension, and based on his writings, she believed that painting is like this portal to the other dimension. From your personal experience, do you agree with it? Does that, does that, do you, do you connect with it? I think I do. I've never thought about it that way, but when you think about pictures, like a photograph can't really do it because it, you know it, it's a photo of reality. It, it's like has limitations, but painting doesn't have any of those limitations. It could literally look like anything. And if painting can sort of merge the scene world, like the representational stuff, with something more surreal, then yeah, I could see how it could be like opening a portal mm-hmm. to another dimension or the fourth dimension. I don't really know what the fourth dimension is. Something about space-time, like mm-hmm. time and space merging. Outside of that realm. Outside of that fabric. You get to see something else. Yeah. Well, have we said all we need to say about yeah. Remedio Savaro? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to talk more about her in future episodes, especially since I have to do this project, of this, you know, paint drawing or put it on canvas. I'm thinking about just doing black and white using ink. But then again, should I, should I do color? I mean, I'll ask that question as, as, as the artwork progresses. Yeah, I mean, you could start with that and then add color over it with, transparent layers so you still see the drawing through it maybe all right so this is over so now i have to i have to bring the next topic um, or is it you i forgot if you got a topic you can give me a topic okay well i'm gonna let you decide it's music or movies I was kind of like missing our music chats, honestly. I, I kind of just wanted to get back in our music, music? game. Okay. Um, let's do Sinead O'Connor. Cool. Yeah, that'll be fun because you were just in her homeland. Yes, I was. And I want, now it gives me an excuse to listen to her music. Because yeah. I do know her music, but I want to dive into it more. So. so her full discography. Yeah, she's only got like five or six albums. Really? Yeah. I would have thought she would have more, but... No, ever since the controversy that happened, it just went slowly downhill. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'll have to look into her life. I I think I've only heard what might be her first album with, like, Troy and... uh, See, I don't don't know that much, so... Okay, me neither. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Black Boys on Mopeds, that's a famous political... Dark one, but very pretty acoustic tune. Uh, cool. We'll do it. All right. Did you experience anything Sinead O'Connor related? Just some murals. Trip? I saw some murals. Um, I went to Belfast as well, which is Northern Ireland, part of the UK territory, where a lot of the IRA uh, conflict happened, the Civil War, where the Republic of Ireland was fighting for the whole I- the island of Ireland to be one nation instead of divided by the UK and Ireland. Mm-hmm. So I went to some tours to know about that, and I just feel like I scratched the surface of that. And I, I know there's a lot of conversations about that that Sinead O'Connor sings about, but it's one thing that I will find fascinating about the people of Ireland is like, even though this conflict finished in 1998, so like what, 30 years, give or take, 
Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of progress has happened, you know, there's peace, but it's still a sensitive topic where they want to make a memorial of the whole situation, but it's a sour note because the victims of that war is still alive. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's very complicated, but to put it in a nutshell, like if a person of killed one person, they decided to kill the other, a tit for tat. You know, and sometimes they decided to kill someone randomly, like a, a Catholic church or something, just because they knew that the IRA was Catholic. So they just decided to go from there and just went back and forth. So it's it's a very sad conversation, but but it's just very again very beautiful to see that how peace can be done. And people make the argument that peace is easy to do, but no, I think. You know, doing going the high road is one of the hardest things out there. And props to the Irish people doing that. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. that's a nice note to yeah. go out on. We'll talk more about your adventures probably right. in our next next episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks for watching, guys. See you soon. Forty-five minutes.